0: well good morning hope you' all are having a good Sunday and uh, this is going to be the second part to what I did last week a couple of you were in here so we'll try and do a little bit of a review but we're just looking at Paul's message to us in Thessalonians kind of a over you know 30,000 foot view through first and second Thessalonians and getting a sense of what the heart of Paul's message to that church is and what it is for us today so uh, let's start by praying the lord be with you with almighty god the fountain of all wisdom who knowest our necessities before we ask and our ignorance and asking we beseech thee to have compassion upon our infirmities and those things which for our unworthiness we dare not and for our blindness we cannot ask Vouchsafe to give us for the worthiness of Thy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So, when I was a young Christian about 20 years ago, I became a Christian in high school, and I became fascinated with the idea of Jesus' return. I heard this is going to happen, and this is going to change everything, and it is going to be glorious. And, you know, so... Like others, when the left behind books and series came out, I was intrigued. What is all this about, and what does this mean? Um, and so, I think it's a popular conception, isn't it, that you can ask anybody on the street probably something about. What do you know about Christianity? I mean, they'll they'll say, "Oh, there was this guy Jesus, and I guess he's coming back." You know, that's pretty. Even in popular culture, that idea, um, even in recent TV shows and movies there's this post-apocalyptic scene setting uh, where, I mean, that's where all these zombie shows and things are in some ways getting their cue. Like, what will it be like when chaos kind of is unleashed in the earth? Um, And that's what, of course, a lot of dispensational teaching about before the Lord returns, things are going to get really crazy. And that can be fantastical. Um, But, you know... All of us, as whether you're a new Christian, whether you've been around the church for a while, you've certainly heard this idea, Jesus coming back. Well, the church at Thessalonica, they heard Jesus coming back, and Paul gave them that message with a great sense of urgency, you know, as though this is an imminent thing. And they took that to heart. <laughs> and so they really got despondent and discouraged when some of them had died, had fallen asleep, in Paul's language. And they were wondering, well, what does this mean? I thought Jesus was going to come back, the Lord was going to return. And here we are, sometime later, and he has not yet. And so, for all of us here today, um, we may have things in our lives that are that bring pain, sadness, disappointment. There may be things we're looking forward to. And the question that is lingering is what should life look like before all things are made new? (laughs) As we live in between the already of Jesus' resurrection and the not yet of his return. We're in this space in between. That's where life is happening. So is there value in just simply living a faithful Christian life? So Paul's responding in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, two reports that people were distraught, um, wondering um, if there are sufferings happening now. Did we either miss the boat, or does this mean that this is the beginning of some of the messianic woes that the scriptures teach will happen at the end times? And Paul's response is a very pastoral one. Paul had... Had a lot of things in his view, but one of them was he recognized this was also a persecuted community. Um, This church was birthed, we looked a little bit last week at Acts 17. Paul came into town with Silas, as he did on his missionary endeavors, and he set up shop in the synagogue and started teaching about this Jesus who has been raised from the dead and how the scriptures teach it. And the Jews got together, some troublemakers, they started a riot. And it became pretty rowdy. And Paul and Silas had to slip away in the middle of the night. Um, In fact, some of the Jews that were really upset at this message, they used the phrase, these men are turning the world upside down. Which, that's interesting, isn't it? Because indeed, uh, as the gospel message went forth, it did turn the world upside down in so many ways. It changed um, so much of not only the Roman culture, but leading on to today we've been shaped and formed by um, by that pronounced message so th- th- there there was controversy in the beginning and then Paul's writing reminding them of some of the troubles and hardships and he's trying to care for them did i did i give one of you second Thessalonians 1 5 through 8 okay would you read that for us
1: this is evidence of the righteousness of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God in which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to retain, to retain with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant you to those who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in his mighty angels and flaming fire, blessing vengeance,
0: and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so, he he was recognizing there's suffering that you're going through, but hold on, okay? Um, you, you will, this is not for nothing. And in fact, those that visit trouble on you will have trouble visited on them. He was trying to encourage them. Um, so, so, there was clearly trouble that was happening in this church. Um and there's basically two things that Paul wanted to uh, emphasize in, in these writings. That Christ is coming back, you can be assured of that. We don't know, he doesn't speak to the when, but he speaks to the fact that allow your hearts to settle in this. This, this is something you can be assured of. Because he's been raised once, he is coming back again. And the second thing is, here's how to live, therefore, because of this, in light of this. Um, even, even under difficulty and persecution. So because Christ is returning, he's, he's, he's trying to emphasize to them, live with expectancy, live with hopefulness, and even be alert. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, um, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day will surprise you like a thief. Um, we are not of the night or the darkness so then don't let us sleep as others do but let us keep awake and be sober um, let's, let's be alert in fact he's encouraging us live as resurrection people uh, you don't have to mourn as those who don't have any hope we actually have hope we have the gospel we have the good news and this is not only a message but it is the power of God for salvation uh, we have that hopefulness that we can encourage others with. Does somebody have Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14? I think this is a helpful passage along these lines.
2: The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. Appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works.
0: Yeah. He saved us. I mean, this is part of, part of the question I had as a young person was okay, so Jesus died for my sins and he's coming back and this is really going to be something incredible and mind-blowing there was this question so why doesn't he just whisk us off into heaven once you're saved why does not he take us to be with him why does he leave us in this place where sin and disappointment and pain and futility reigns (laughs) why doesn't he just make it all better right now you know and it's because he's designed us to be people of hope, people of resurrection. He's designed us to live in such a way that we return to what we were created to be, how we were created to to live. Um, And so there's this emphasis on, hey, stay alert. Live your life in such a way that not only for your own sake, for encouraging of one another in your faith, but also so that outsiders can see that you are my holy possession, you are a holy priesthood. You, you belong to me. Uh, you belong to God. And that, that, that ought to help encourage you and me as we go through the doldrums of the day-to-day, of the mundane, the boring, um, the difficult even. Um, he said, Paul says in several places to the Thessalonians, encourage one another with these words. It's meant to be an encouragement. It's not meant to be a weight, uh, You know, put some extra stones in your backpack here it's not meant to weigh you down and burden you. It's meant to free you, to be free to live more into who God's designed you to be. And in this at the very beginning of his letter, 1 Thessalonians, he says in verse 3 of chapter 1, verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about faith, hope, and love. You find that those three phrases often used in Paul's letters to different churches. Faith, hope, and love. And it's interesting that he connects faith, hope, and love here to the Thessalonians to work, labor, and endurance. Steadfastness. So the hope is really steadfast. Your work of faith and your labor of love. He several times in, to the Thessalonians. He appears to be addressing a problem that some of them had said, well, the Lord's coming back, so I'm just going to kick back, you know, and just enjoy it. You know? I'm just going to relax. I'm waiting for the fireworks show to begin. You know, I'm, when's this going to happen? So, they they weren't they didn't seem to be diligent about going about doing the things God created us to do, one of which is work, you know. We tend to in our culture look at work as, man, we can't wait for our retirement, right? Like, I mean, I'm ready to get out of there and just enjoy life. We were actually created to work. We were created Adam and Eve were created to till the garden of Eden. That was their job. That was what they were to do, and that was before the fall. It's just when sin entered the picture, futility and sweat and the blood and pain of what it means to work has, has um, brought futility to us. So Paul's addressing the Thessalonians, saying, hey, let's, let's return to work. In fact, does anybody have the 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, and 12? Yeah. Read that for us.
2: Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody.
0: Yeah, it, apparently there were some moochers, you know, who thought, hey, you know, I don't have to work anymore. Jesus is coming back. I don't know if you all remember when the Herald Camping, I, I guess he's had several prophecies that the world's going to end and Jesus is going to come back. He's a radio Bible teacher. Um, several years ago, I think it was 2012, you know, they, he and his followers announced Jesus is coming back. It was like May 18th or something, 2012. And they, they, they put up billboards, they had advertisements. They got a lot of people's attention. It became a thing. And I remember hearing stories, you know, of course, May 18th, 2012 came and went. And I remember hearing on NPR a guy who was a truck driver or something, but he had uh, taken, he and his wife took all their life savings and spent it and drove across the country from New York to Arizona because they wanted to be at the Grand Canyon and see it one time before the Lord came back. You know, like they, they, they put everything they had into this idea, of Jesus is coming back. And, you know, it's really a sad, a sad thing. I mean, part of me is going, how how much more glorious is the renewed heavens and earth going to be than the Grand Canyon? Like, you're not really going to care that you saw it in this life. If Jesus is coming back, all things are going to be made new and wonderful and amazing. I don't think you're going to regret. But, um, you know, I think... The Thessalonians, some of them had this issue where they thought, well, Jesus is coming back, we can just kick it for a while. We don't need to work. But Paul's saying, no, return to the things that put your hands to, to good, diligent work. This is good for you, and also it will gain the respect of outsiders. You know, it, it's not good if the Christian community is viewed as lazy, is viewed as not contributing to the good of society. Um, and this was in an age when Christians were the vast minority. They were an oppressed community. Um, They had to win the respect of those um, in power and leadership in the uh, Roman world. Um, It wasn't just given to them. And we live in a time when a lot of times political influence and money and prestige often are wedded with, you know, even in Birmingham, that's a real danger, isn't it? Like, you know, you can become part of a church just to network, and it doesn't really, it's not because your faith draws you there necessarily, but it's a savvy political move. Businesses advertise themselves here as Christian. You know, putting a, a fish on the side of your work truck or something, thinking that's going to help me get business. Um, that was not the case. The, these people were being mocked and ridiculed for their faith. Um, that they, they lived as outsiders in a sense in their own community. And Paul's saying, hey, you can earn their respect by being diligent and contributing to the good of the place that you live. Does somebody have the Second Thessalonians 3, 6-12 passage? Did I hand that one out? Uh, yes. Okay.
2: Uh, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. But we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's... That's a instructive paragraph um, for people seeking to live faithfully to um, to the example that Paul said he gave them. He said, "Be an imitator of." When we were with you, we didn't we didn't require we didn't sit back and go, "You guys have to feed us." Paul's t- had a tent making ministry. You know, I mean, he went around um, preaching and teaching, but he he wasn't dependent on. He didn't want anybody to accuse him of just riding the coattails of the community that he was in. Um, he wanted he wanted to earn their respect, and he's encouraging them to do the same in this in this community. Hey, I know Jesus has not yet returned, but be be about the Master's work while you're here. Put your hands to things that He has called you to do, and He's talking about normal vocations there. I mean, He's talking about vocations some of you have, whether you're in insurance or banking or um, you know, lawn service. Whatever you do, um, Paul says in another place, do it all to the glory of God. It's an, it's an encouragement that the, the occupations and careers God gives us are, are for good use. Um, and, and Paul is really—he's pastoral and even tender in in addressing these problems with the Thessalonians. There's a couple places where he compares what he's doing um, to motherly and fatherly care. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, We were were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Then he says in chapter 2, verse 11, For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Both the tenderness of a mother and the strength and and um, encouragement of a father. Um, he's seeking to call them and propel them and nurture them towards owning their faith in such a way that they live out to the purposes for which God has saved them. Um, and and then he says, he speaks with such beaming pride about them. Does anybody have the First Thessalonians three? Verses 6 through 10 passage.
2: But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live as you are standing fast in the Lord what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you
1: face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's just a, there's a real heartfelt love and connection that Paul feels with this church. Um, He's really putting it out there and seeking for them to know we, we love you, and we care about you, and we pray for you. And you're constantly in our, in our mind's eye as we're going about our work, where, where we are. And um, I think that's an encouragement um, to us. If, if, Paul's my, if Paul was communicating that to these people, how much more is the Lord Jesus communicating that to us? You, know, you, you have not escaped his glance and his eye wherever you are. In fact, the scripture tells us that Jesus ever lives to intercede for us before the Father. Um, Even now, he is praying for you. He's praying for his church. Um, I draw great encouragement from that. Um, Like, Jesus didn't save you reluctantly. He saved you out with great joy. It was with joy that he endured the cross for you. And uh, that's no small thing. And so he's seeking to um, remind the Thessalonians of what, what they're really made for. Um, let me see here. In, in encouraging them and us, you know, again, this isn't meant to be a burden. He says at the end of his letter, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Um, that God, God will not leave you abandoned in this. He's, he will empower you. He will come alongside you. Um, but it's so easy for us, isn't it, to forget God's goodness, to have very short memories. <laughs> we can be thankful one minute and then ungrateful the next. I, you know, I, I have three kids and my middle daughter, uh, she's a four-year-old with red hair and a very fiery uh, personality. Um, I tell my wife, Aiden is like everyone else, only more so. I mean, it's like the highs are high and the lows are low. And there was this day where I'd been out of town recently, and I came back, and uh, the kids were so excited, and they said so they decided to have Daddy Day. And so we uh, they wanted to eat lunch, and so I took them to eat lunch at this place. And we're, like, walking along the sidewalk, and there's this... Um, small wall ledge, and the kids wanted to walk up on that, you know, so Aiden's kind of skipping along that, going, this is the best day ever, it's amazing. And I kid you not, it was maybe two minutes later, we're inside the the restaurant ordering at the counter, and she didn't get the drink she wanted or something. And she threw a fit, and it was just like, and and the words came out of her mouth, this is the worst day ever, you know, it was just like... Oh, man, but, but how much, you know, I'm like that, too. You know, when things are going great, I'm like, all right, thumbs up, God. And when they're not, I'm like, what's the deal? And Paul's reminding them and us that, hey, even in the midst of whatever you're going through, God is faithful. You know, the, the Israelites of old, when they were wandering in the desert, they, they, had, they, were, they suffered from this affliction, too. Um, you know, they were they were grumbling against Moses. They doubted and they raged. God fed them with manna and quail and it was never enough. It was never what they wanted. Um, you know, God pushed the Jordan River back, brought them into the land of Canaan, conquered Jericho, and still they were gone. This isn't enough for us. And so I think that's just part of our human nature, our uh, propensity towards... Um, you know, a, a thirst and a quest for something that doesn't satisfy and hasn't fully satisfied us. Um, but but there's a couple places where Paul's also saying, hey, because your identity is in Christ, because you are meant to be his church, built up and rooted in faith and love, you should be abounding in love. And so uh, does anybody have 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 and 13? Okay.
2: Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your heart's blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints.
0: Thanks. Yeah, so, hey, abound more and more in this love. Um God is at work among you, and that should become evident in the way you treat one another, um, in your care and concern for each other. You remember when the man came to Jesus and he said, um, "You know, what are?" He was trying to trap Jesus. He said, "You know, what's what's the greatest commandment?" Jesus quotes from Torah, from Deuteronomy. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. But then he says, the second one is like it. Attached to it, and that's love your neighbor as yourself. Um, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. Everything depends on this: loving God and loving your neighbor. And we tend to separate those out in our Christian world today. We tend to think, well, you know, become really pious and holy, and you know, by yourself with your Bible and love God. And if you have time, and if you feel so inclined and compelled, you can go love somebody. Um, And conversely, sometimes people say, well, you need to be out there loving people um, and forgetting that there's also a primary responsibility of devotion to God um, through, uh, through worship and scripture and prayer. And so those things go together, and Paul's reminding us of that, that God is at work among you, so increase more and more in your love for God and for one another. And loving him and loving each other is going to—it's um, going to be out of a sense of loyalty to Christ, out of wanting to be faithful to him. And so he actually um, touches on a subject that's probably pretty appropriate for our culture and for our day, as much as it was in Thessalonica. Um, they, they were this is the issue of sex and sexuality and. Um, you know, in the Greco-Roman paganism, it was swimming with sexual immorality, and in fact, there were cult practices that involved um, <coughs> sexual acts and temple prostitution and things like that. And so, it was important that Paul addressed this with them. So he has he. Let's see. Does somebody have First Thessalonians four one through eight? Thanks.
1: Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in a passion of lust, like with Gentiles who do not know God, that no one can express the wrong- because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you.
0: Yeah, so that's that's one that affects everybody um, because, you know, if that was a permissive society, I, th- I think we're in a fairly permissive society too, post-sexual revolution and all that. And you know, this is a hard word for the church today. Um, I think it's a hard word for, um, obviously, even for the Thessalonians. But that connection of our our bodies aren't our own, but we belong to the Lord, and He's asked us to live in certain ways. And sometimes that can be hard. Um, but He does say. Um, God gives us his Holy Spirit. And that's a hopeful word. This isn't, um, it's not up to us to clench our fists and try harder and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps um, as though we could. Um, But there's this sense of abounding in grace more and more, uh, responding to God's voice and hopefulness. Um, His work of salvation is present now. It's with us now. Uh, we aren't left abandoned as orphans. Um, he will help us. And we tend, the church tends to either over promise or under promise. Um, back in the 80s and 90s, there's this group called the Power Team. I don't know if any of you knew, knew about the Power Team. These guys, you know, these were some guys that loved to work out and such. And they, they would go around and put on these big like youth rallies and kind of. They would tear phone books in half and try to perform feats of strength, and you know their slogan was, you know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, and um, you know, really rallied a lot of people. Um, you know, sometimes the church can be like the power team, like you can do it, you can do all things in Christ, and we're going to promise that this is going to be amazing. You know, you can almost walk on water when you have the Holy Spirit, and that's 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 an overpromise, big time. Um, on the other hand, you know, some churches, we tend to under-promise. There's this Eeyore mentality, like from Winnie the Pooh. You know, the little donkey is just, everything's terrible, and nothing good ever happens. And so sometimes we can majorly under-promise. Like, hey, your life's basically going to be the same as whether you're a Christian or not. Just muddle through it the best you can. And I, there's some truth on both sides of those things. You know, um, and they can temper one another, and when the, when both of those voices are being heard, but either extreme can be dangerous. Uh, that that's not the the message of Scripture. Isn't that you're going to walk on water? But it's also not that you are just um, destined to a terrible existence. It's not. It's uh, and so so mainly Paul's trying to encourage us. In Thessalonians, to trust Him more, trust Christ more and more, and to try to be faithful in living that out in very practical ways, like working diligently with our hands, not just sitting back and saying nothing matters until Jesus comes back, because that's not true. And <clears throat> so he, he's, we just read about, you know, this is your will of God, your sanctification, and he, Paul closes the first letter to the Thessalonians by saying, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Uh, So I just wanted to, for the last part, um, help us understand this idea of sanctification, being sanctified, being set apart. and this is part of that over-promise and under thing I was just mentioning. Uh, so this will be real quick. Um, so there's four main stages, if we could say that, of, of redemptive history. And So there's creation. There's the fall into sin. There's redemption. This is, you know, the cross and the resurrection of Christ. And then there's glorification. Okay, that's that's the age to come we had talked about last week. That's, that's all the fullness and promises of God's gift to his people. Um, and so, in all these... Um, the, some of the early church fathers, they had Latin phrases for a lot of things, and Augustine was one of them. And, and he would talk about how in this stage at creation, this is Adam and Eve in the garden, um, it was... Passe Picare It was possible to sin in in, in the garden. Of course, we know... Adam and Eve did. They they failed to be faithful to God, to keep um, his command to them. And so we live in the age of the fall. And so it's now non-passe, um, non picare. Non it's now not possible not to sin. Um, it is, you know, Scripture says everything that's not done through by faith or out of faith or from faith is sin. Um, so we can't help but sin; it's, it's part of our nature. That's what we talk about um, as being the um, um, our sin nature. We live in the redemptive age, though those who have trusted Christ. This is, this is a word for the church. Um, it is uh, it is now a non Picare so because of Christ's work and because of the gift of the Holy Spirit um, the Holy Spirit does in fact help us resist temptation um, we are in fact able to live differently because of his help um, that's that's why the rhythm of worship of Bible study of a fellowship with others of prayer, it's actually formative, it's helpful, it's encouraging, um, but we still have a sin nature. Uh, so it just means that it's possible at times not to sin. In other words, we're not, we're certainly not as bad as we could be. And and then, you know, in in glory, it is, can anybody guess? <laughs> yeah, non-passe pecari. So it's not even possible to sin in glory. In God's presence, there is only holiness. Sin cannot live and abide. And so in that, we will be renewed um, fully as his, as intended. And so we're on this uh, redemptive track. He has saved us and renewed us and restored us so that we can live in this way, so that we were, as we were created at the beginning. Um, he's bringing us to what it means to really be human, to respond to God's love and kindness and goodness by seeking to be faithful to what he gives us. There's instructions in that in Paul's letters to the Thessalonians for us. And we're now free to struggle with sin. Uh, We're not free from sin, but we're free to struggle with it. And he is faithful to do it. I just want to close with the first paragraph from Paul's letter. Um... Just listen to this and hear God's uh, promise to you, but also his his prompting and encouragement on how to live. Um, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word with much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That is an encouragement and a hope, and I hope you'll take a look at uh, First and Second Thessalonians in days to come and um, think on these things. And um, let me know where I missed it. I would appreciate that too. So, any thoughts, concerns, any questions? It's
1: maybe too much, to you in the last minute, but that's okay. <laughs> you mentioned Jesus praying for us, and that's you New know, scripture. For us always, and um, thinking about not only for our salvation, right, but in our day to day lives, is that something? I mean, I would say yes. Of course, he's praying praying Mm -hmm. for us in our day to day struggles, but is that right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is that right, or is he just? I mean, is it? It's
0: hard to believe, isn't it? Right. It's hard to like the. Does he care about when I stub my toe or right. when I had a bad day at work or when my kids won't behave? or Yeah, like, is he concerned about those little things or is it yeah. just the state of my soul? Right. Yeah, and I, I think that's where... Um, yeah, I think there's always just going to be a tension for us with that. But I mean, you know, Jesus, when he's addressing in the Sermon on the Mount um, in Matthew, it's either 5 or 6, and he's talking about their... You know, don't be anxious about anything. Um, you know, if he dresses the lilies of the field, how much more is he going to provide for you? If he feeds the birds of the air, how much more is he going to make sure that you're well fed? And I think there is this even minute concern. He says the hairs on our head is numbered. Man, he knows us in such an intimate way. I think it's beyond. You know, like a. Um, You know, another notch on his salvation belt. I think it's more than that. I think it's really, it's real care. And, yeah, I I think we're just prone to to wonder and doubt and go, where are you, God, when I really need you? Mm -hmm. You know, especially when you're undergoing persecution or difficulty or needing something to change or longing for something to be different. And waiting is so hard. Mm -hmm. But how much more, I mean, I, I, I think I always think, if I desire something that's good, how much more does God desire that for me? Like, it has to be true that He wants good for me more than I do because yeah. I don't know what's good for me, one, usually. You know, I don't know in, in in a pure sense what's good for me. I know what I want. But how much more does God want my welfare to be? Sorry, I, I know that's not yeah. totally helpful, yeah. but... That is a scripture that I'll go to occasionally and just remember. Okay. He takes care of all these animals. How much more does he care about me? Yeah. Well, I know it's time to run, and uh, thanks a lot for your time, and uh, look forward to being with you again.